Before I read this week's research article, I had never heard of the hospital at home concept. But by the time I finished reading, I was convinced that this delivery model has the potential to transform healthcare as we know it. Hospital at home simply refers to hospital level services that are delivered in the comfort of a patient's home. And this model is rapidly growing in popularity, particularly outside of the United States. The high-level research that we'll look at today indicates that the evidence behind this delivery model is still in the early stages. But the data that we do have suggests that hospital-at-home services can yield the same outcomes as traditional hospitalization, but with shorter lengths of stay, better patient satisfaction, and decreased institutionalization. After we look a little more closely at this research, we'll welcome on our guest, Monika Vukashevich, who has made a career of thinking creatively about OT in the home, even as she works in traditional OT settings. So whatever practice model you currently work in, I'm so glad that you are here with us today because I really think that this is a trend that all OTs need to be tuning into. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles, then invite on a guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this week's article of Early Discharge Hospital at Home, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. You are probably listening to this episode on a free podcast platform, but to gain CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. As of the recording of this episode, it is just $49 to sign up for the club, so I highly encourage you to do so. So bearing in mind that this could count as a continuing education course, I wanted to explicitly state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our two learning objectives are that you will be able to recognize the positive outcomes associated with hospital at home and that you will be able to identify assessments that OTs can utilize to help track outcomes in this setting. So let's begin by looking at our journal article, and then we will bring on Monika to discuss how this research could play out in your practice. So the article that we are looking at today is Early Discharge Hospital at Home. It is from one of the most prestigious sources out there, the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews. It was published in 2017, and it ranks 54th on our list of the 100 most influential OT research articles. So to begin the article, the authors provide just some orientation to the hospital-at-home model. And as the name suggests, hospital-at-home simply means providing services in a patient's home that would otherwise require acute hospital inpatient care. This model allows for coordinated specialist care and rehabilitation while taking some of the pressure off hospital facilities with a limited number of beds. The authors of the article look specifically at early discharge hospital at home, meaning in this model that patients start in the hospital and then transfer to their homes while continuing to receive the hospital-level services. And this type of hospital at home is 
considered distinct from admission avoidance hospital at home, where you would avoid the hospital system altogether. And it's also different from terminal hospital at home, which would be that palliative care or hospice level hospital services in the home. I wanted to mention both these because they both have their own Cochrane reviews if you wanted to dig into those two models at a later time. So what was the goal of this systematic review? The authors say that the purpose of this review was to determine how health outcomes of patients in early discharge hospital at home programs compared to the health outcomes of patients in traditional hospital settings. And they also wanted to compare the costs associated with these two models. They then go on to talk a little bit about their methods for carrying out this review. And the author searched for randomized control trials that compared early discharge hospital at home to traditional hospital inpatient care. And I did want to mention here that they excluded a couple types of hospital at home because in their initial searching, they thought there was enough evidence in these three categories I'm going to mention that merited their own separate reviews. So three of the types of hospital home that they excluded for this reason were pediatric hospital at home, mental health hospital at home, and obstetric hospital at home, which then left us looking at randomized controlled trials that really centered around adult hospital care. As they were looking at the different types of health outcomes, they zeroed in on two main outcomes to track, and that was mortality and hospital readmissions. And they also tried to pull from each trial that they found these secondary outcomes, which included functional status, patient-reported outcomes like quality of life and cognition, clinical complications, living in an institution setting at follow-up, patient satisfaction, caregiver outcomes, staff views, length of stay, and the cost of the interventions. So what were the author's results? The authors found 32 studies, which included 4,746 people from 12 countries. They found that most of the studies were well-designed and soundly conducted, which is a big endorsement from Cochrane as they have very high standards. And based on the studies that they found, they ended up breaking their results into three different patient populations. They broke them into people recovering from stroke, people recovering from elective surgery, and people with a mix of medical conditions. For our purposes on this podcast, I also thought it was important to note that 16 of these studies reported that occupational therapy care was a part of the intervention. And as they were searching for those main and secondary outcomes, I really wanted to highlight the specific assessments that they found because this list to me really just read like a list of occupational therapy assessments, which I thought spoke to how well this model aligns with our occupational therapy care. So I did want to take the time to read some of the most commonly used assessments because I think they'll definitely feel familiar to you. So the assessments that they found were the Barthel Index of Activity Daily Living, the Caregiver Strain Scale, the Dartmouth Co-op Charts, the Fall Efficacy Scale, the Functional Independence Measure, the Mini Mental State Examination, the Modified Rankin Scale, the Nottingham Extended Activities of Daily Living Scale, the Rivermead Mobility Index, and the Sickness Impact Profile. So as the authors are breaking down the results from these studies and all these different assessments, they really go into a ton of detail. And I encourage you to just read the article in full if you're really curious of, say, the specific outcomes of people recovering from stroke. 
because they do a great job of breaking down the outcomes by the three patient populations and then going through all the outcome measures that I mentioned at the beginning. But for the purposes of this podcast, I just wanted to focus on the overall overarching takeaways. So when they were comparing hospital at home to traditional hospital care, there was little to no difference in mortality rate, health outcomes, and hospital readmissions. So basically, the care that you could receive at the home, according to these measures, is just as good as the traditional hospital care. But some of the things that were different was the people who received hospital at home services seemed to require hospital level services for a shorter period of time. The patients receiving hospital at home also seemed to be more satisfied than those in the hospital level care. And they seemed less likely to readmit to the hospital or to require institutional care than the people who received traditional hospital services. And when it came to looking at the cost of the two programs, they said there was not enough evidence to determine the overall impact on costs. So what did the authors discuss and conclude from these results? In the implications for practice section of this paper, the authors remind us that this model could potentially alleviate hospital beds shortages. Additionally, it could help the world prepare for an aging population, where essentially there's more need for hospital-level services. The authors of Cochrane Reviews are always very precise and really careful not to inflate the evidence, but they did clearly state that even though they couldn't make a definitive call on the impact of cost, that hospital at home does not appear to be cost prohibitive and that the evidence merits a continuation of the hospital at home programs that exist and further research on the efficacy of this model. One limitation that they mentioned that I really wanted to highlight was the lack of data out there on the impact to informal caregivers. I thought this was a really important point to consider as hypothetically the hospital at home model kind of puts the caregiver in a different position than our hospital model. And I think it's really important to consider the implications for them as well. I did want to share two of my takeaways from spending time with this article. And these are just my personal takeaways. They weren't mentioned specifically in the research My first takeaway was that in my extra reading, it seemed like the research released since this 2017 review just continued to further support the case for the hospital at home model. The healthcare world has just changed dramatically since 2017. There's many new technologies on the market that make this model even more feasible than a couple years ago. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has underscored the need for hospital care alternatives and has really strengthened the push for more research on this model. In our supplemental reading, I am going to link to the article, Interest in Hospital at Home Programs Explodes During COVID-19. It's a really great read and summarizes some of the new evidence that has come out since 2017. Some of the high points are that there have been studies that have shown that Hospital at home enabled patients in their study to move around nearly three times more than patients who were in a traditional setting. Again, there was research that showed that the hospital at home reduces readmissions, and there have since been studies that show that hospital at home significantly lowers costs. And there was a quote in this article that I kept thinking about. It's from Dr. David Levine, who's an MD with a master's in public health. And he said, if hospital at home were a drug, everyone would buy it. I think that just speaks to the really promising outcomes that they're seeing with this model. And my second big takeaway is just to highlight again that the pandemic really accelerated the adoption of this model. And I just see this as being a trend that will continue. 
If Hotspot Home continues to prove that it is significantly less expensive, better able to produce high patient satisfaction levels, and just as safe compared to traditional hospital care, it's hard to imagine a future where this model is not widely accepted. And for many of us, this means reimagining our role as occupational therapy providers. As this trend towards providing more acute care in the home really has the potential to impact almost every practice setting. And I really wanted to pull out just one more quote from this article that I'm linking to because it was so good. And this is from Bruce Leff, who's an MD at John Hopkins. As he was thinking about the future of hospitals, he said, one day hospitals will just be ERs, ORs, and ICUs. Everything else should get pushed out into the community. And it was writing like that that really blew my mind and made me realize, like, these aren't small, isolated programs that we're talking about. This is potentially a reworking of acute care as we know it. It just makes a ton of sense to me that patients would do better in their own home. And I think we have the technology to support that. And as OTs, this is just such an exciting prospect to think of more patients being in their home because it allows for a focus on function that I think is sometimes limited by our current hospital models. But to help us further unpack what this research could mean for our profession, it is my pleasure to bring on Monika Wukashevich. And before I read Monika's official bio, I just wanted to be really clear that she works here in the U.S. as a home health therapist, which would be distinct from hospital at home. But because so few of us OTs actually work in hospital at home, I really wanted to have her on to talk to about how research like this could impact those of us who work in traditional settings, whether just at traditional acute care or traditional home health. Because as I said at the beginning, I really think this research is something that impacts us all and something that we all need to be wrapping our minds around. So turning to her official bio, Monika is passionate about helping individuals and families solve problems that arise in life at home, especially after an illness or injury occurs. She earned her master's in occupational therapy from the College of St. Mary in 2009, and since then has worked in acute care, rehab, ICU, skilled nursing, outpatient, and as an adjunct professor in home health therapist. The majority of her career and passion has been in home health. She is trained in motivational interviewing, healthy habit development, lifestyle redesign. She is a certified living in place professional, that's a CLIP certification, and is in the process of becoming certified in evidence-based caregiver training for dementia through the Skills to Care training. She has been writing about occupational therapy since 2012 on topics that include flow, motivational interviewing, and strategies for home health OTs. After falling in love with being an occupational therapist in the home, she clearly noticed the challenges of working in a remote healthcare system and began creating more content, including an ebook and downloadable templates for home health OTs. She is the founder of the Home Health Occupational Therapy Explorer podcast. And she is currently exploring other creative avenues to address key problem areas innovatively with the skill set of home health OT via her company, Till and Water. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to bring on Monika. Welcome to the podcast, Monika. It's great to have you. Sarah, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for doing this. I have just kind of had my mind blown by this topic over the past couple of weeks. And it feels to me like a trend that's coming that honestly most OTs in the U.S. probably don't know about. 
And we're at a moment right now where we can choose to start preparing for it or we can be blindsided by it. Was that your general impression of it? (laughs) With the hospital at home model? Yes. Yes. And in full transparency, when I first read this article, I misunderstood what hospital at home was because it is such a new model. And as an occupational therapist currently practicing in the Medicare model through a pandemic, it sounded to me like it was home health. So Mm -hmm. my first read through it, I was like, oh, this is just another way since the study wasn't done in the US, you know, like that it was, they're just talking about home health. And then it was like, no, they're not. It's very close. Yeah. But it's, it's also very different and kind of next level. So I think you're completely right because I'm even in the home and it caught me like a double take. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly the experience that I had where I read the title for the first time and I was like, oh, they're just missing some words in there. When I saw early discharge hospital at home, I also thought it just meant leaving the hospital early to go to the home for home health. Like I had never even conceived of this model of providing hospital care in the home. And the more I think of it, the more I see the benefits to it. But before we get too deep into it, I wanted to take a little time at the beginning to have you just share your story of how you discovered OT and then specifically OT in the home? Yeah, great question. My gosh, I feel like you dangled the carrot there and then you're like, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yes. <laughs> Testing my focus skills. So I came into occupational therapy as a profession via a personality test, actually. I had been studying communication and then rerouted and just didn't want to study communication anymore. And So working a cubicle job and was pretty unhappy. And so I actually started talking to a counselor about like, what do I do with my life? And so I think it actually may have even been the Myers-Briggs test. And I matched up with being an occupational therapist or physical therapist. But when I read about occupational therapy, I thought to myself, I can't believe you could get paid to do that. Like that just sounds like a great way to spend your day. So that's how I landed into occupational therapy. And then honestly, it was process of elimination that brought me to home health. I had worked in just about every other setting and Mm -hmm. I really found myself through, I guess, colored by an experience with Bevan Phillips, actually out of Omaha, Nebraska. I did a fieldwork experience with her and she got to work in people's homes doing home modifications And there was something about that that felt so right. And I never really had anything as close to that besides doing home safety assessments in acute care, acute rehab, outpatient, and all these other areas of practice, skilled nursing. So it just kind of became time to check it out. And I also felt like I finally had enough experience in these other areas where Mm -hmm. I wasn't also so scared of home health because... Mm -hmm. You just don't have that same support around you in home health that you do in like acute care. And the rest is history. Yeah. When I think about occupational therapy, I'm always like the home is the ideal place Mm -hmm. to be doing that. And I agree with your story where it does take 
a little experience and a little courage to feel like we can be solo in the home. It's usually not people's first step into practice. So with that background and knowing you've been working in home health OT for a while, what were your initial impressions of this journal article? Well, my very first impressions were a bit disappointed and I was a little confused. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like we had talked about where when I first read it and having this influence of 2020 slash 2021 as an experience where how they're describing hospital at home is how we were kind of functioning in the hospitals Mm. and home health, where it was like, get them out ASAP. So we were actually seeing in home health way more acute cases. So part of me was like a little disoriented by the article because I was like, oh, they're just, yeah, they are just talking about home health when they say hospital at home, but they're not. And I was surprised to see that even though this study was done, obviously, before a pandemic, so like our perspectives, I feel like, on doing things at home are very colored Mm -hmm. by the last like 18 months, I was surprised that the results from the study weren't more immediately and evidently positive, like Mm. that there weren't bigger results that trended towards cost savings and functional measure, you know, like, I guess I was surprised by that. But I know you also caught that and were like, no, actually, based on this type of study, this is positive news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with this being this Cochrane systematic review, to me, they are always the most careful in interpreting their results. Mm-hmm. Like they never want to overstate them because they're mm-hmm. kind of like the pinnacle of research. So when they say like there's moderate evidence behind something, that to me is like a glowing review from Cochrane. <laughs> like, because <laughs> so often they look at stuff and say it's insufficient. And I was also, they had so many older studies in this review that I was like, that makes sense to me that the cost savings weren't Mm. there yet because technology has changed so much. Yes, good point. And as I started looking at the newer research, I think that there is a trend towards the cost savings that you could see in the home Mm. where there's Mm -hmm. so much more remote patient monitoring that's a lot more affordable and the trend will only continue to go that way. That's such a good point, Sarah about the technology and just the date of the research. And I appreciate you're such a good research translator. So I really appreciate what you're bringing to our profession also in taking such a focus on the research Mm -hmm. because it, it really is helping. I know this article and this conversation really helps me think not just here and now, but where are we going? Yeah. And what do we need to do to try to help get there? Yeah, the research can initially seem so dry, but this is this yeah. article is such a perfect example of like this article ignited my imagination about the future of OT in yeah. a way that I don't think would have been possible without it. And specifically it's made me start thinking about the downsides of our current models. And that Mm. was one of the first questions I wanted to ask you is what do you see as the downside of how we currently function specifically here in the U.S. where 
our acute care OT is so distinct from home health OT. It's like yeah. you're in the hospital with one team. And then once you go home, you shift over to this different payment model, different team. I feel like I'm kind of setting you up there, but yeah, what, what, what do you see as the downsides to how we're doing things currently? Well, that's a big question. A lot of different ideas come to mind. And before I forget, you know, I really just want to do a really reverent nod to all the occupational therapists, especially in the midst of this pandemic that mm. are you know, whether it's been going into the homes through Medicare or just on these COVID floors, but just a tremendous amount of respect for just what happened, you know, yeah. it's just like, oh my gosh, that's, this is a big deal. So just mm-hmm. a tip of the hat to everybody out there. And my initial response was actually one layer back, honestly, you know, if the question is like, what are some of the downsides? And it's actually even just what brings them to acute care And so often, and I was just talking to another friend about this, like, I wish there were specialists who could be more quickly and emergently available for folks because so often when people go to the hospital, if they could have perhaps seen their cardiologist sooner, or if they could have seen because it's congestive heart failure, or if they maybe could have seen their endocrinologist sooner, they maybe wouldn't have needed to get admitted to the hospital Mm -hmm. to even be in acute care because their specialist could have seen them or come to the house, maybe obviously through something like a hospital at home. But I do think of the hiccups of transitioning, like you're talking about, where if someone's already, when we feel our worst, that's the last time that I want you to give me a packet with 50 papers, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and expects me to like learn about new medications that I can't pronounce. And so there's there is also this element of how do we help people transition at education and like emotional levels that meet where they're at to truly help them begin to change. And I mean, and I'm like, we probably shouldn't even get started on like, it is a sick system. Like it is not a healthcare system. People only get attention typically when things have gone wrong. So Mm -hmm. how do we start telling more stories providing more information about things before they're so bad. But I mean, is there more to that? Like you think of because you were on a, you had a good point of just in regards to the acute care OT and just the things that they're encountering yeah, or helping patients. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't worked in home health, but I have worked in acute care and Oh, just to me, the downsides of, Half of your time to me was like trying to understand what the home setting was that they were discharging to. Mm -hmm. And then the amount of time it took to like coordinate with the other disciplines on what that would look like, that transition, Mm -hmm. that ended up being such a huge part of your time. And with an acutely ill patient, you only have so much time with them. So you only have 15, 20 minutes before, honestly, they're tired and done. And if 10 Mm -hmm. minutes of that is just trying to understand their home, that's so inefficient. So if we could get them to the home earlier, that just answers all those questions right away. And you can see the functionality that they're preparing for so much easier. And then for us in the U.S., when we go from this team of acute care providers to a totally separate team once they go into the home, 
that is also super inefficient to have to learn everything about this patient than as a home health provider when they were already seen in OT. Like, to me, this model sets up, like, OTs could get into the home sooner. And then, to me, it opens the possibility of, like, could this same OT continue to provide your home health services? Like, Mm -hmm. I see this continuity of care possibility that we don't have right now because our system is so disjointed by the different payment models. Oh my gosh. And then that makes me also think too, of like someone, which I honestly think occupational therapists are incredibly poised to be this, but to make sure that they can get in at home, you know, if they're coming, depending on what the situation was, you know, like, do they have a ramp? Can they be, can they manage the stairs? Can they get through the door if if they need to get into the bathroom or are they going to need a commode? And all that would have to be decided so quickly, but in the long run could prove more beneficial. But wow, it's a paradigm shift. Yeah, it's a huge paradigm shift to be thinking about providing those acute care services in the home. I think for us in the U.S., there are definitely hospital at home programs. And I think the movement is going to continue to grow But for lots of us, it's still something that's coming. It's still kind of hypothetical. So we're in this place where we're just starting, in my mind, starting to prepare our minds for it. And so another one of my questions for you was, as someone who's working in traditional home health, how does this trend make you think differently about your current work? Yeah. And I, I even pause, you know, to ponder these things because even as we talk, you know, there's the element of the transition just to the home, you know, like there's the environmental transition and ultimately there's this yearning certainly to be part of these teams that would help lead this. Mm-hmm. But in, in regards to how does it make me think different, you know, presently about my current kind of traditional home health practice, honestly, it made me think about symptoms. And you might think, well, like that really doesn't have that much to do with OT, but I can tell you a little more. And part of what colors this is, you know, a huge part of this study, like the top two outcomes that they're looking at is mortality and rehospitalization. And so then I think that's a huge step. You know, like if these are the two most important things, and in my mind, these are going to be the two most important things, probably for a lot of payment systems, like these are going to be two of the biggest goals. How do we keep people alive Mm -hmm. and how do we keep them out of the hospital? And to me, I think, well, what's one step down? We need a smaller goal before rehospitalization because that's kind of a real easily like black and white thing. Mm-hmm. But what are the things we're missing? What are the little goals that lead up to a hospitalization that we can begin to aim for more objectively? And something that comes up for me, having been in home health and having watched people either come right out or go right back in, especially in these last 18 months because of the acuity that we're mm-hmm. seeing in home health is symptoms. And so a part of me is, is inspired as an OT to do more in regards to daily routines, 
to educate people like as they're getting dressed, as they're showering, maybe as they're making a meal to be more aware of what's going on. Are you dizzy? Are you short of breath? Um, are you not wanting to do those things because your legs are so swollen? Are you not getting out of bed because your pain is so bad? And helping bridge this understanding of symptoms mm. to what that means in your body, but also like, what does that mean would be a good idea to do now? Because I think, A, many of our clients don't understand their symptoms and how it relates to their diseases. And so therefore, they don't have a plan or think they need one if these symptoms change. And so that means they're going to go to the hospital. They're going to wait till it gets bad, and then they're going to have to go to the hospital. So part of me is really inspired from this article to bring in more symptom education to the ADLs that I'm, or IADLs, that the activities of daily living that I'm doing with people. And honestly, to use more of the resources, like I work for a company named Bayada and they have really great educational resources for clients. And so integrating the use of those into sessions during the session, you know, so it's not just like read that later you know, but to pull it out and even reference it to try to help mm -hmm. have this kind of like functional in the moment type of education or like teach back. Yeah. That's a little bit of what comes to mind. Yeah. And then this is kind of painting the picture of what the hospital at home team could look like, but wouldn't that be awesome to have a team that you were working more closely with that you could bring in on some of those symptoms like Absolutely. Hey, nursing, I'm worried about the leg swelling. Hey, yes. whoever, I'm worried about the dizziness. I see the possibility of the closer communication that could happen in this model where you're just more all on the same page being in the home and seeing the needs a little more clearly than I think we can see in acute care sometimes. A hundred percent. And right now we call out, you know, so if I see things, I, you know, there's a process that we go through to make sure we're using the proper kind of chain of communication to reach proper doctors. But I think that could be so much quicker. And when mm -hmm. I worked at Kaiser for a little bit in Oregon, it was just like, it was such, it was so helpful to have direct contact with yeah. those physicians. But I think another way of getting ready is this, this thought of both discharge, like there's so much to discharge planning that I think we could really improve upon and Part of that I'm realizing also on the front end and in the home is like, I tried to make this template that clients could fill out and we could help them fill out that just lists all their specialists mm. because so many people, they don't know what an endocrinologist even means, yeah. but we're using endocrine. So there's just so much room for education about who these people are and how they can really help and why they would even be important to talk to. So a whole nother rabbit hole on the yeah. stop right there. <laughs> but to loop to get like if we could get patients into their home sooner, that's freeing up the time and their energy to be able to focus on education versus like drilling them about how many steps they have to get into their home. That's mm -hmm. so much better for them so much more efficient to be spending our time doing that versus how we currently spend our time in acute care. 
Have you worked yes. in acute care, Monica? When you I have. It's been a really long time. It was actually back in Nebraska. Thank yeah. you, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Yeah. Shout shout out. So that was the other area I was thinking about related to this article is. I see our OTs who are currently in the home health model needing to start wrapping their mind around this hospital at home options, but then Mm -hmm. also our OTs who are working in traditional acute care needing to wrap their mind around this new potential model. And thinking of acute care OTs, how do you think reading this article could make them start thinking differently about the care that they're providing today still in that traditional acute care model, even if they're not in hospital at home yet? That is a really great question. I can imagine, or just some of the first thoughts that come to mind are that there's an inspiration to be mindful and clear in collaboration, because I think in the hospital at home model, if we're going to have a seat at that table, we will have to be confident. We will have to be clear and be able to demonstrate our value and what we can bring to the table quickly among a team, because it won't just be us, right? It never is. And that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. But I think there is an element. And I say this with a lot of humility and just like tenderness, because I think we're tired. We are tired and we are stressed and we Mm. are grieving. And it's just like, I think plenty of people are so close. If you're still on the front line practicing, it's just like, I think 90% of us are like, why am I even still doing this? You know, but We love what we do, but there's this tremendous buildup of emotion, especially because of the last 18 months. And so I say that because the next thing I want to say is that in the midst of all of this emotional situations or like interaction, there is, I think that can impact how we say, if we say anything and who we say it to, because I know sometimes when I am tired and I'm stressed, and I'm grieving, the last thing I want to do is have challenging conversations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's just like a protective measure. And in moving forward, I can imagine in acute care, like, how do we communicate more effectively and assertively, and take care of ourselves so that we don't like snap in the brink of just a tremendous burden on the front line right now. And I can also imagine that doing some local collaborations like this just keeps coming up in my queue of you know why don't we do more collaborations or be part of more collaborations in each local community about what are the discharge options because i can also imagine that when hospital at home becomes a situation which to be totally honest i'm at phoenix i didn't realize but there is one here and so also mm. i'm assuming that it would be in part up to the OTs as well to know if that's an option in your community, when do you refer to it? Or would it be, you know, because we're bringing the discharge recommendations to the social workers, do we know what all the discharge options are and when to refer to acute or maybe that, I don't know if that would be, you know, but that kind of element comes to mind. And then I guess the last one was just around those ADLs. Like I can imagine that there would be some type of shift that would happen knowing that, okay, here's this patient in the hospital and tomorrow they're going to be home and they're still being monitored and they're going to need to go poop, (laughs) go pee, (laughs) and someone's going to have to get them clean. So really helping think through that. And 
I also think of motivational interviewing. Like, I really feel like this is just such a special nugget to our healthcare system because it is an effective driver of behavior change that are the caregivers ready? Like they mentioned this in the article. Mm. Because this model also seems irrelevant if there's no one at home. Yes. To help drive this. So just, I can imagine for the acute care OT, they could help bridge a lot of that functional conversation and like caregiver readiness, potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm still in the back of my mind mulling on what you said originally about just the degree of tiredness that's out there in our healthcare mm-hmm. workforce. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely sensitive to speaking to people and being like, guess what? There's another huge change that's coming that's going to like push us to reimagine, basically reimagine healthcare where mm-hmm. it's moving so towards the home. And even though there's lots of exciting aspects to that, it's still change and change is really challenging. And so I guess I I kind of want to punt the question back to you to be like, how as OTs, do you see us potentially being part of this change or at least preparing ourselves for it? Great question. I definitely, let's see, so you said how, how can we be part of this? Because I definitely think the value is there for us to be at the table. The Mm -hmm. value of the skill set that we know can absolutely help influence outcomes, cost saving, save lives, stress management, all those things. I think the most challenging part of what you've just proposed is how, how do we do this? You know, and I pause because in some of the in some of the moments of my life where like I feel like I needed to jump over a canyon, which it feels like in some ways this is, mm-hmm. it helps me to skip the how question and just say why. Like, why would we want to be part of this? And I think it's so clear, you know, Sarah, to you and I in this conversation of why. Like this is not only for the sake, obviously. I think first and foremost is we have value to bring that can help our clients. And we are innovators at our core and we are customizers at our core. We, we know how to customize our treatments, our goals, our conversations to be able to help people function better. And it's just part of our profession that it's like, if the need is there, let's go. So then a part of me wants to brainstorm with you. Because this is so outside of like my comfort zone and <laughs> like my typical thought process. And it's such a good question. Yeah. But it's like, how might we, if we did really want to be at the table for this innovation, how might we do that? And I'll toss it out if we have time to do it, that like, this is also a helpful tool that I've been using more with clients. It's been part of training that's come up for me too and helping work with clients in problem solving through skills to care. I learned this motivational interviewing, lifestyle, like lifestyle management, kind of coaching, but really is coming up with a list of 10 things and just brainstorming, like no commitment, but just like, let's come up with, so can we come up with like five things together right now? Can we just brainstorm? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
So one I think is to reach out to these companies that are already doing it. Yep. Hospital at home companies. And just to reach out in a professional value-based way and ask to be part of a conversation or, you know, to share a resume and cover letter that's tilted towards what they're doing and just ask, even if it was like, could I just talk to someone? Or obviously I'm not saying it. Yeah. (laughs) You get the point. Yeah. One of mine would have been similar where we have a great CEO at our local hospital. And I actually almost did this and I wish I had. I wish that I had just sent her, or we have the kind of relationship where I could have just sent her this article and been like, Mm. has our local hospital ever thought about providing this kind of service? I think at a time where we're so sensitive to the shortage of beds in our Mm. area, I think that there would be an openness like never before to Mm. a model like this. And everyone's seen like, that's ridiculous that our healthcare provision is tied to the number of beds in a building down the street, like we should be agile yeah. enough to meet the needs that are there. So, yes. Oh my gosh. A story about that after this. I think that's a great idea. And it inspires me of one, which is invite people out to coffee. Yeah. Like invite some very on the surface, interconnected people to coffee. So like any connections that you've got, you know, like whether it's an OT, CEO, and maybe even like a caregiver provider, but just people that you know in the community to say, hey, let's have coffee. And another idea is to do a TED circle around this. I just learned about Bill Wong came to town and taught mm, us about good. using TED circles for conversations. So that could be one too, because there's probably a TED talk about this. Or if yeah. not, number five could be do a TED talk. <laughs> and I know that around the globe, there are OTs who are doing this already. And I don't know exactly how to find them, but I think if you put your feelers out, we could connect with those people, whether they're in the U.S. or whether they're outside the U.S. Yes. Yes, Sarah, that's a really great idea. I think we came up with five already, but I'm also just like thinking of some kind of self-care for ourselves Mm -hmm. where we can feel open to being agile and flexible for the future, like... We need to be at a certain place emotionally to like spark our imagination. And what are those things? Even if it's like going for a run. Yes. Staying inspired or in a place where we can do that. And I think even connecting with your local state associations. Part of me is like, you know, we have an SIS for home health here in Arizona. And so it's even like connecting with them or part of me is like, what if they're just like an And it doesn't even necessarily need to be a committee, but every so often it was just an innovation meetup locally. Because I think with the world going global, that's cool, but also we're missing the power that is local, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that face-to-face is so powerful. It really is. I have another one that's kind of going to segue into another question that I wanted to ask you. (laughs) But I think part of this potential switch to hospital at home is dependent on the technologies to do that. And I think lots of the technology is really close. Like we can monitor people's vital signs remotely. Like someone doesn't need to be going in there and taking vitals. Like if there was an investment in it, we could be doing that. But what technologies do you think would be needed for OTs or would be really helpful to OTs 
in this new model? Yeah, that's another really good question. And in all humility, you know, technology is not my strength. And Mm. I will be honest in my answering of this. And I think even just that's telling, right? And maybe I'm an anomaly. I don't think I am, but I practice home health occupational therapy in a traditional healthcare model. And I just told you, I'm, you know, technology is not one of my strengths. Mm -hmm. And I need to take ownership for the fact that in the way I just made that relationship, I am trying to build a relationship between the fact that like, would I say that if I worked at Apple, you know, like, no. (laughs) So I, part of me is like, we're behind. So like the traditional healthcare system is behind. And part of why I don't go out actively seeking to know what technology might help bridge these things is because we're not there. So I'm mindful. And that's not entirely true too. When I say we're not there, my clients aren't asking for it. So that's, Mm. I guess, why I say we're not there. And I have seen clients come home post-COVID with their monitoring devices, you know, where they were maybe sent to scale because they have congestive heart failure and they've got their oximeter. And I know you mentioned vital signs and that can be done remotely. And the interesting thing that I'll say is I've seen cases where, I mean, one client, he was checking his blood pressure and had no idea that it was so low. So it's like, Mm, just because they did check it, but didn't know the, (laughs) no relationship, like didn't understand the symptom at all. And also was not putting together his dizziness could be connected to his blood pressure. So part of my hesitation about technology is that there's this gap between the information it can provide, how it's used, and then the so what factor. Because Mm -hmm. so many times it's like, yeah, that is great information. If they know what it means, and is it really going to help keep them out of the hospital six months from now? But I do digress a little bit. And I think, you know, for home health OTs, I think this is where, you know, I dream of local conferences yearly for home health OTs, because look, we need to know what technology is out there. And we need help knowing how that can really be practically applied to our clients' lives. I think of caregiver monitoring systems. Mm -hmm. They're not all created equal and not all caregiving situations. This is not, nothing about home health is cut and dry. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the beauty of it. And also the like hair pulling out part of it. So I honestly think some of the technologies that could help us the most are like Fitbit watches and teaching people how to use them or like some type of like simple wearing device that tracks some of your most basic symptoms and then having someone help understand who could be like the OT, what that means in your daily life and what to do if you see things that are questionable and helping someone know what is questionable, Mm -hmm. you know, because now I, I try to tell people when I put the oximeter on, do you know what these numbers mean? Because I think we just assume they know and why yes. it would matter. But anyways, I think or that they don't need to know because we're the expert in the room. Yes. Which is also false. Yes. And like going back to a, another question that you asked that I thought of um, after I reread the article was, I wonder if it would be helpful in this hospital at home and kind of like getting ready for it. If people were capable in the hospital or if a caregiver was in the hospital, so this could be the acute care OT, to begin making some recordings 
because at home, sometimes we start people with like, okay, daily weights, okay, daily blood pressures. But to begin building those habits in the hospital of like, okay, this is a fake journal. This is a fake daily journal, but I actually want to orient you to the monitors. And so this like orientation to the monitors, like guess who the monitors face? Rarely the patient. Mm -hmm. Does the caregiver know what any of those numbers mean? You know, so having someone even just do education of equipment to the caregiver of like, we're going to be going home. Let me teach you a little bit about what these machines are and how they affect when he goes to the bathroom, how they affect when he gets a sponge bath and when he's rolling, you know, and what to watch for. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Approaching (laughs) our care with like the end goal of self-care in mind or self-management which is something that we've talked about on the podcast before and is relevant to every topic. Like I think sometimes we forget that our end goal is self-management and we should be thinking about that as early as possible. What you said about the Fitbit reminded me that I did read an article specifically about hospital at home where one of the main outcomes they were tracking was just the amount that the patient moves around and they compared it to the hospital setting versus the home and they moved around like three times more. Yes. Uh, please look at the specific article. I'll link to it. I don't know if that was exactly right, but they moved around a lot more in the home. And I definitely see that as a metric that OT could be helping to start track was it's just important to move like and reminding our patients of that. And there are really simple trackers that you can use for that. And maybe we need to be in touch with technology companies and expressing our needs more as part of this preparing for this. That's another great idea. Oh man, our time is quickly coming to an end, but I wanted to to be sure to ask you just really big picture where you would like to see the occupational therapy profession in five to 10 years in regards to hospital at home and related to that, what supports do you think we need to get there? <laughs> That's a great That's question. That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> because of the way you phrased it, I get to dream really big. So I'm like, okay, what would I love to see? I think you said like, I'm going to go love. But I would love to see first OTs being just happy and healthy so that there's a really grounded sense of what we need in our own lives and being really just assertive in our own lives to be healthy and happy and take that responsibility, which therefore I think leads us to being leaders in this at home movement that is coming and that is happening. So envisioning OTs being able to be really beautifully part of collaborative teams, whether that's you know, OTs working with hospital at home models or home health traditionally, or even in these training of caregivers with dementia or consulting directly to memory care units, but just really somehow finding ways. I say finding ways, but I think before that is even that there's just been this freedom for occupational therapists to not only dream, but to line up energetically with the things most on our hearts, to really be able to try it, you know, that that there's this like freedom and this may not seem part of this, but I feel like for my own personal life, you know, like a part of it was like, I just 
like dealing with the things that are going on in our own lives and even just getting beyond this, trying to get it perfect, you know, that it's like, that's impossible. And so really envisioning that there is just this like gate open that we give ourselves permission to just go try to build value in our communities in the most fun way possible. And that we start having more conversations with people that are clear, that are direct, that we're asking to be part of things. And as a result, whether it's influencing local legislation, talking to more of the people who are influencing what healthcare policies are coming out to impact home health, but that there's really this movement or this shift towards OTs coming into more leadership and conversation in a really beautiful, confident, assertive, and like grounded way in the field. And that might be really broad. So I welcome if you've got any also specific dreams too, Sarah, that you see. I was just thinking as you were talking that this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this topic, because I think one of your strengths is helping us think really holistically about our profession and about the care that we give. And to make this kind of seismic shift, it needs to be a holistic effort, like Mm. both holistic on the individual level, like feeling really grounded. So we have the imagination and energy to get to this next kind of care, but then holistic as a profession where from different practice areas and different settings, OTs are kind of banding together with this energy around creating new models that I think potentially are much better from for our patients than what we're currently doing. Yeah. And that inspires me to also think about, like you saying that is this, this coming together of all of us, even in different areas of practice and the support, you know, and I think that's something that you have tuned into is this real need for support if we're going to really make the shift. And I think, you know, the research that you bring to our community is without a doubt influential. It has given me permission, like this conversation, I wouldn't be having this conversation if you hadn't brought up the research and most of your research in the club. I'm like, I, I scratch my head and like pause and then I have a lot of emotional responses to it. Yes. And then, and it makes me better. And I, I feel more prepared for the future. And so I think there's also this, you know, so thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for our profession and that you took the risk to innovate. And I think that, you know, really quickly to just brainstorm on some ways where we will need support. It's like the support I can imagine of each other, you know, and being able to come to the table together, whether it is acute care. I know you've inspired me to like have a little study group, even just of home health OTs, even just as we prepared for this podcast. How do we perhaps have more retreats for mm. OTs that it's like, because I think so many of us are heart driven, but we are not in a heart. And I don't say that like with judgment, but we are not in a heart driven industry. Like yeah. there, it, it, It's a payment model, you know, but how do we at least come back to what we need? How do we have more how do we do more research for OT in the home? How do we help bring out more research or get on those teams? 
because I forgot to mention this, but I think it's a real part of this movement toward that home. There is a real chaotic hustle and juggle to working in the homes. And it's not talked about that much, really. But even just bringing that out more to like, let's talk about being a remote worker in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa. So just really breaking down some of these pieces that are necessary when you're the scheduler, the caregiver trainer, you know, like when you're doing the driver, you know, like you're doing all these things in one, one person. Are there things that come to mind for you though, that you're like, I bet this could be helpful in regards to supporting this like shift towards this home care OT big picture possibility? Yeah, I definitely agree with all the things that you just said. And yeah, it was definitely lingering on the like talking about the challenges that we experience in our current models, because that's not going to go away in mm-hmm. like the chaoticness sometimes of being in the home and the flexibility needed and the does put a level of challenge. And I would imagine sometimes isolation on remote workers. And if that's a future that we're headed towards or where that's expanding, we need to be talking about that more now. Mm. And like you said, just all goes back to community and having the courage to talk about what's working and what's not working. And that's the only way we're going to be prepared to move forward. We're Mm -hmm. unfortunately at the end of our time, but I wanted to give just one more minute for any final thoughts that you wanted to leave people with on this topic? Oh, I so hope that there's truly hope and inspiration found here. And also that if you are listening and you are feeling isolated or alone, that you, that you reach out and just know you're not alone. You mentioned that word isolated, Sarah, and it's like, this can be a very isolating practice and it's very demanding. So Mm -hmm. also just kind of like reverently noting that that can be a very real part of this, but just that you know you're not alone and I hope that you feel comfortable reaching out, you know, especially locally to whomever comes to mind first, you know, if that's resonating with you, just to know you're not alone and navigating through any of this. And just a massive thank you, Sarah, for taking on this topic to talk about. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here today, Monica, and just for the inspiration and having someone to bounce ideas around with about this exciting future. I'm hoping that we can keep talking about (laughs) OT in the home. I think there's a lot more to dig into there. Yes. Amen, sister. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, you guys, I hope you leave this podcast feeling both curious to learn more about hospital at home programs and also just excited for the occupational therapy care models of the future. I did want to highlight that in our supplemental materials, we are going to link to specific hospital at home programs here in the U.S. And if you have any thoughts or experience on hospital at home, I highly encourage you to log into the OT Potential Club and share these thoughts on our forum. And speaking of the OT Potential Club, that is also where you will go if you are interested in earning a continuing education certificate for your time today. And the club will also have a written breakdown of the article that we discussed today so you can return to this research whenever you need it. And as always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. 
Take care, and we'll talk to you next month.